Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. April 15th, 1991, what NBA player set the record for assists with 9,898 career assists? Who set the record? Yep. I want to say Magic. Magic Johnson. That's right. But do you know who holds the record today? John Stockton. John Stockton. Or Mark Jackson. It's John Stockton. How disappointing is that? Why are you disappointed? I hate John Stockton. Are you not? I thought you were a huge Magic fan. How are you not disappointed? Magic is my favorite player ever. I think I appreciate Stockton more as I've gotten older and realize how much he did with his limited physical. Yeah, it's just because you play dirty basketball, too. It's because you have the same game as John Stockton. That's probably the reason (laughs) I hate John Stockton. But 30 years ago this week, Magic Johnson set the NBA record with 9,898 assists. I knew that you would appreciate that. Yeah, greatness. Favorite player ever. You know, I'll have to have you back on come November because we're coming up on the end of Magic's career. Yeah, that was horrible. Yeah. Horrible. All right, man. Well, that's all I got for you. I'm going to talk to you later. All right, cool. We'll talk to you later. See ya. From Mill U Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 3, Episode 14, The Best Band of the 90s. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, April 20th, 1991. Hello friends, I am so very happy to see you back for this, what is likely to prove to be a pretty short episode of 30 Pop. Not because I want it to be short, but because, as much as I might like to, I can't make this week in 1991 more exciting than it actually was. The simple fact is, there just wasn't a lot happening 30 years ago this week in pop culture. Mariah Carey held the top album in the country yet again with no signs of giving it up anytime soon with her near-diamond-selling self-titled debut. It's unsurprising that she would remain the top seller week in and week out as she was absolutely dominating the radio and TV waves with a steady stream of killer singles and accompanying music videos. This album was not only the top album for this week in 1991, but for the entire year. In fact, it was number 27 on the Billboard 200 for the entire decade, and number 50 on Billboard's all-time list. 
which is amazing, especially in light of the fact that, as I mentioned several weeks back, this isn't Mariah's best-selling album by a long shot. Her third studio album, 1993's Music Box, would nearly double it, selling over 28 million copies. And her fifth studio album, Daydream, from 1995, sold over 20 million copies worldwide. In the context of today's music world, this would likely be the equivalent to many billions of streams on Spotify, YouTube, Pandora, Apple Music, and the like. Like, many billions. Unbelievable. The new number one song in the country, however, did not belong to Mariah this week in 1991. Instead, it belonged to pop vocal trio Wilson Phillips with their single, You're in Love. You're in love, that's the way it should be. I've racked my brain for literally minutes, and I've failed to come up with a single song with a more repetitive and redundant lyric than that one. It's the most repetitive and redundant song I could come up with after racking my brain for literal minutes to find a song that's more redundant and repetitive. Do you see what I'm saying? Ugh, the worst. Thankfully, it will lose that number one spot next week, so we'll never have to give its repetitive redundantness a second thought, or third thought, or fourth thought. Let's just move on. The number one song on the hot R&B and hip-hop chart 30 years ago this week was Tony Tony Tony's Whatever You Want. Now, don't get me wrong, I genuinely like Tony Tony Tony, and I am very impressed that this is their fourth number one single on this chart in the last nine and a half months. And I promise you, I'm not just in a bad mood or something, but you cannot tell me this song should have been outperforming High Fives, I Like the Way, The Kissing Game, which topped this chart a few weeks earlier and had, at this point, somehow fallen no telling how far out of the running. We haven't seen the last of High Five in 1991, but even still, it irks me that they were so seemingly underappreciated in this particular moment in history. Anyway, I don't mean to Kanye the Tony 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 guys, they were extraordinarily talented and have remained so in their respective musical endeavors since disbanding in 1997-ish. That's when lead singer, the newly named Raphael Sadiq, chose to continue pursuing a solo career apart from his brother and cousin, none of whom were in fact named Tony. 
The number one song on the Hot Rap chart this week in 1991 was, once again, Moni Loves' It's a Shame, My Sister, and the top country song remained Alabama's Down Home. In sports news this week in 1991, 28-year-old undefeated heavyweight boxing champ Evander Holyfield defended his title for the first time against the legendary former and future champ and countertop grill mogul George Foreman, who was 14 years his elder. Eugene Grant scores the bout 116 to 111. Tommy Kazmarek has it 115 to 112. And Jerry Roth scores it 117 to 100. For the winner by unanimous decision, and still, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, the real deal, Evander Although he ultimately lost by unanimous decision, Foreman shocked boxing fans by enduring the full 12-round bout against the much younger, much leaner Holyfield and proved he still had what it took to compete at the highest level in his weight class. Fun side note, I had the opportunity a few years back to interview George Foreman IV, one of the champ's many sons who all share his name, for another podcast I produce and host called The H. If you're interested, I've included a link to that episode in the show notes. In television this week, the notoriously unfunny actor, martial artist, and walking, talking caricature of all things macho, Steven Seagal, hosted Saturday Night Live and was subsequently banned from ever making another appearance on the show. The show's creator, Lauren Michaels, branded Seagal the worst host ever because of his general lack of good ideas and his horrific treatment of the show's cast and crew. None of this surprises me. He was the show's 10th lifetime ban, joining the ranks of Elvis Costello, Frank Zappa, Milton Berle, Andy Kaufman, and alternative rock band The Replacements, among others. And he was the show's first of several bands in the 1990s. I do have a hard time imagining he'd have ever been invited back, with or without the Lifetime ban. Seagal is simply not a name synonymous with sketch comedy. Regardless, his film Out for Justice was enjoying its second consecutive week at the top of the box office. I attribute that entirely and with the sincerest optimism to a mere lack of competition. We were rapidly approaching summer blockbuster season, so all the studios in Hollywood were likely just holding out for the big release weekends. The only remotely notable release from this week in 1991 was the mystery thriller Mortal Thoughts, starring then-husband and wife Demi Moore and Bruce Willis. Did you think you would get away with this? I didn't think that she would go through with it. It was a sick game. Listen to me. We are friends, and we are going to watch out for each other. Forever. Something terrible happened that night. I mean, you have a friend, two friends, married, and we're at each other's throats. When are you going to start listening to me, huh? So what if I want to have another baby? No, 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 because we already talked about this, and you know that. You get this taken care of. Something no one wanted to talk about. You used to be such a happy-go-lucky guy. Well, I'm very happy-go-lucky. Yes, uh, <laughs> uh, We're partying, baby. I'm going to kill him one of these days, so help me God. Something no one could put their finger on. I'm really afraid, Joyce. I mean, I don't think that we're doing the right thing. Look, I warned you about this, too. They're crazy. They're animals. Anything can happen with them. Something no one could forget. Somebody's talking. They ask questions like somebody knows something, like somebody said something. Something just doesn't sit right here. The night James was murdered, you said you told your husband everything. I didn't do anything. I mean, you're really caught in the middle now. You're going to have to make a choice here. I made my choice. It's over. You think it's over? You knew what was happening. You let it happen. 
Some secrets you keep. What you want is a lie. Others you kill for. I mean, a woman's a murderer! Somebody help me! Unless, of course, she isn't a murderer. Demi Moore, Glenn Headley, Bruce Willis, John Pankow, and Harvey Keitel. Mortal Thoughts. Commercially speaking, this film was relatively successful. Made on a measly $8 million budget, the movie returned nearly $20 million at the box office. It was not a huge success critically, though. I suppose fans just weren't ready to see Molly from Ghost alongside diehards John McClane, or worse, Mikey from Look Who's Talking. Or maybe, honestly, it was just Bruce Willis's facial hair in this movie. It looks very bad. Regardless, I didn't know anything about it back then, and I don't particularly care anything about it today, so I probably won't be seeing this one. If I'm wrong, though, if you've seen this one and think it's worth a watch, by all means, let me know. Just go to 30pop.com and click on the answering machine link. I would love to hear from you about this, or honestly, any little bit of early 90s pop culture nostalgia that's on your mind. I'm going to wrap it up here for now, though, friends. As always, your consistent willingness to show up and listen, to share this show with your friends, to engage on social media, to rate and review the show so kindly, all of it. I just appreciate it so much more than you will ever know. Let's keep reminiscing together, shall we? Next week, same place and time, I look forward to it. For now, though, just ask yourself, is this the proper setting for profanity? 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 30 years ago that you want to share, leave a message on the answering machine at 30pop.com. <laughs>